Okay. All right. So, whether you've been here or not in the last couple weeks, it's okay. Um, we've been talking about the Bible. We've been busting it open, as it were. We've been learning. We've been learning and asking questions like, "What good is the Bible to me?" Uh, we've asked the question, "How do I use it?" But we haven't asked a big question, which is, "Is it true?" And I think that's a really important question to ask because I know I've asked it before. Is this really true? Um, and I'm sure if you haven't before, at some point in your life, you will ask it, right? To ask that question. Have you ever asked that question? Maybe more than once. Really? Really? Did it really, really happen? So, you're not alone. I just want you to know that there have been probably accumulated centuries of time that people have spent searching out and breaking down every little possible thing in this to ask that same question. Is this telling the truth? Can I believe everything the Bible says? You know, like for me, I didn't have any problems in high school. I, I didn't grow up in church. Hmm. believing that the Bible was true, when I started questioning, is it really true, is when people came to me and said to me, question it. Yeah. You know that didn't really happen, you know, oh, right? Sure, it's in the Bible, but how do you know it really happened? I, like, I mean, they were just... And I went to public school the whole time. You know, someone yeah. said, uh, you know, it's all really good, but... Yeah. Okay. You're going to hear that a lot in your life, and... We want to make sure that you're prepared for that time when it comes, but there have been so many people spent so much time going into depth about this that there's no way that I'm going to be able to make it through everything that they have learned in 30 minutes. So we're going to focus today on one event. We're going to go on one event, and that one event is so important that it is central to everything that is going on. The reason why you're here today is because of this event. It is the most important thing that's ever happened, even if you don't know it yet. What do you think it is? Who's got a guess? Anybody at all? What's a guess? There's only one right answer and a bunch of wrong answers, so let's get the wrong ones out of the way. <laughs> or unless someone's going to nail it the first time, like we had in the first service. It was embarrassing. I Creation, that's a good, that's a good event. What is the most important event? Why would we be here today? We all had to start somewhere. Why are we here? Why, is, why are we at church today? What is making all of this go? Why, why, what is the most important event? What started it? God, this is good. All right, you want me to just get it out of the way and tell you? I know it. That's also a really good question, oh, but what? it's not. It's not. So. Nope, because the next one was the biggest. I appreciate you rolling this together. 
Yeah, that was a really good guess. In fact, I wrote it in here. Creation, Moses, Jesus, and the crucifixion yeah, as and things that you probably would guess. Jesus. Yeah. You know, and I used to teach three- and four-year-olds, five-year-olds, and the answer to everything was Jesus. Jesus. Yep. So if it's not that, I'll give you a hint. It was the last thing we were doing in there. What were we doing in there before we came into this room? Okay, what were we singing about? Jesus. Not just Jesus. <laughs> not just God. Not the crucifixion. What? What's the point of that song? He's not, he's not dead, is he? It's the resurrection. It's the resurrection. The resurrection, whether you know it or not yet, and you don't know it yet, but you will after this, is the biggest, most important event in human history, and it's the most important event in your life for sure. So, it's super important. You'll find out why. But that leads to the question, did it really happen? And if so, how can I be sure? So let me, let me, let's take a sidestep. What's the most important thing that's ever happened in the history of our country? What's the most important event in our country's history? Just take a wild guess. Um, There's no punishments for I know. it. You do. Very important, not the, the most important. The Revolutionary War. Bang! The American Revolution. I was going to say the Declaration of Independence. Which was during the well, American Revolution. Kind of <laughs> okay, it was our founding. It founded our country. It shaped what our country was going to be from that time until today and onward in the future. But how do we know that it really happened? How do we know? She just said it. We have the Declaration of Independence, not just a copy of it. We have the real Declaration of Independence that was really signed by all those old dead guys <laughs> that really did lay out all of the things that they were mad about and the reason why they were going to be their own country from that point forward. We have documents. But can the same be said about the resurrection or, for that matter, anything else that's been in the Bible? If the question we're asking is, can I believe everything that the Bible says? Well, we have this, but this was made by Crossway Publishers. This doesn't say written by Jesus, hand-bound by Paul, and given to you personally on this day, the day of your salvation. No, I bought this at a store. So, let's take a look at the text that we're going to spend that's going to shape everything we're doing today. Turn in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. It's right there on the top of your page. Extra gold stars for Dylan. He's earning his donuts. Yeah, okay, we'll do that. Okay, well, it's all right. <laughs> well, let's, let's see if we can... All right, so in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, we're going to be in that. We're going to read a little bit, but I just want to read a passage for you that's going to set your mind on why are we asking this question today. Why are we talking about the resurrection and why is it the most important event in all of history? Here we go. So we're starting in verse 12 of chapter 15 of 1 Corinthians. 
Now, if the Christ, or if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection from the dead? But if there is no resurrection from the dead, then not even Christ was raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain, and your faith is in vain. We are even found to be misinterpreting God, because we testified about God that he raised the Christ, whom he did not raise, if it is true that the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ was raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then your faith is futile, and you are still in your sins. Then those who have also fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people to be pitied. So that's the reason why. Paul is writing this. This is 1 Corinthians. This is one of Paul's earliest letters. And it's in fact one of the earliest pieces of what we would call the New Testament scripture. This is one of the earlier letters he wrote. And he is telling the Corinthian church in Greece that there is nothing more important than believing that Christ is still alive because if he isn't, then everything I'm telling you is pointless. Everything you've learned about Jesus is pointless and there is no reason to continue on being a Christian if Jesus is not raised from the dead. Take note of this. Don't necessarily need to write it down because it's long. If the resurrection did not happen, Nothing in the Bible matters and nothing that has happened since it was written means anything. There is no point to being here today if Jesus is not alive, if the resurrection did not happen. If the resurrection did not happen, the Bible isn't true. If the resurrection didn't happen, there is no reason for us to be here. That's what he's saying in verse 14. That is what... When he says, if Christ hasn't been raised, our preaching is... In vain. In vain. I'm just talking to hear myself talk. I'm wasting my time if Jesus is not alive. But is there evidence for the resurrection? So we're going to take a step back into the beginning of that chapter, verses 3 through 8. So who's, good, who's a good reader who can read out loud? Stephanie? Dylan, got it. Go, Dylan. Read that. Just read that. Because you don't need to find the page then. Cephas, that's Peter. Then to the twelve, then he appeared to over five hundred brothers and sisters at one time, most of them are still alive, but have fallen asleep. Then at last, then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, last of all, as born at the wrong time, he also appeared to me. So, what is Paul saying here? He received account, eyewitness account. Is there evidence for the resurrection? You got to start. Did anyone see this resurrected Jesus? And Paul is saying, I passed on to you as the most important thing I've told you, what I have received. That Christ died for our sins. Where did, how did he die? How did Jesus die? 
What did, how did you? According to the scriptures, right? He died how he would, how the Bible said he would die on the cross for our sins, and that he was buried. Where was he buried? In a cave tomb. Who who owned, owned by who? Tell us, Miss Renee. Um, hang on, Nicodemus. Not Nicodemus, but close. Joseph of. Oh yeah, sorry, my bad. Arimathea. Joseph yes. of Arimathea's cave, right? That he was raised on the third day, according to the scriptures. He said he would do it. The scriptures said he would do it. He did it. And that he appeared to Peter, then to the twelve, then he appeared to over five hundred brothers and sisters at one time. And this is the most important thing. What does that say right there? What does it say right here? Most of them are still. So what is Paul inviting people who are reading this letter to do? What's he saying? Don't take my word for it. There are over 500 people who saw this guy alive. And not only that, if there are over 500 people that say that they saw this guy alive, if he wasn't alive, don't you think at least one of those 500 people would have been like, uh, it didn't really go down like that. But nobody did. In fact, they were all willing to die for this. So, Paul's claiming there's eyewitnesses to, the Jesus be, to Jesus being resurrected, and he's inviting anybody who's curious to go and ask these people who are still alive whether they saw what they said they saw. Whoa. But is there other evidence? Because it's not enough, right? Because people can lie, can't they? They could, well, but did they? Why would they all lie, and why would they all then go to die about it? That's a very good point. But do we have other evidence? So what's the first evidence we have of, of his life? How, did we, how do we know what happened during Jesus' life? What part of it, though? There are four books in particular that we read to learn about the life of Jesus Christ. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, which are called the Gospels, right? The Gospels. So we've got the Gospels. The Gospels are written by either eyewitnesses. We got two of those. We got Matthew, who was one of the 12. And we got John, who was not only one of the 12, he was one of the three that spent more time with Jesus than everyone else. You got Peter, James, and John. And then we've got Matthew, or we've got Mark and Luke. Mark and Luke were not eyewitnesses, but they, Mark spent all of his time with Peter, and Mark is thought to be Peter being interviewed, what did Jesus say? And Mark is writing it down. Luke was a doctor and an amateur historian who took the time to interview all of these eyewitnesses as he was following around Paul on his journeys. So he wrote two books, Luke and what else? Luke part two, also called the Acts of the Apostles, Acts. So Jesus' life and how the church was built and the life of Paul those are accounts of Paul and the other eyewitnesses to Jesus. And the funny thing is, you would think, well, we can't, that's in the Bible. You can't prove the Bible with the Bible. You can, but also nobody at the time, nobody at the time was like, no, they didn't write that. In fact, very quickly afterwards, everywhere around the church, everybody knew that these were written by them and nobody had a doubt about it. And remember, most of them are still alive. If Matthew didn't write Matthew, somebody would have spoken up about it. No, he didn't write it. I saw that one being made up by, you know, Dylan when he, was, he wanted to make some money. But he didn't. Nobody Why said that. Why would they use me? Because 
because he wanted to make money. In fact, we have other evidence very quickly after that. There's a guy named Papias, and Papias was one of the early church writers and fathers. So it's interesting, and I get this all the time. It seems like everything that's in this book, and then after that, like everything else is everything else. But it wasn't. Revelation was written, but the church continued on. And in fact, John lived to be very old. John was the only one of the disciples to actually die of old age. They tried to kill him by boiling him in water, but it didn't work. Every other one of them was executed, murdered, all of that violently for preaching the gospel. John lived to old age, and John had many followers as well. Guys named Polycarp. Can, and you think about this. You had guys around that not only were believing in Jesus, but actually knew the guys who lived with Jesus for three years. Isn't that crazy? Like, to me, that's like, wow. You have a guy who knows a guy who was with the guy. And they're writing about it very quickly afterwards. In 125 AD, John died sometime after 90 AD. So we're talking about less than 30 years after Revelation was finished. He's writing about this and telling the church what they already know, as if they already know. Y'all know that Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and John wrote these Gospels that we read today, and that Paul was writing all these letters, and this is how this all went. Less than a lifetime after that, a guy named Irenaeus is in 180. He's writing this basically again. He's saying, we all know this, that Mark produced this Gospel first, and then Matthew and Luke also produced their account. And then many years later, John sought to present another one, and that's how we got John. And he's writing this not in a way of, hey, did you all know that Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John wrote this? He's writing like, we all know this, and nobody disputes this. Everybody knew that the Gospels were written by what they said they were, and if you look at it, they were telling a very truthful version of events and it's very consistent and it makes sense and it matches up with what happened in history because we don't even just have the guys who wrote the Bible and the guys who knew the guys that wrote the Bible. We have guys that didn't even know Jesus, that didn't like the Christians, that were telling histories way outside Roman history, Jewish history, that also talk about these events. Guys like Josephus, Tacitus, and Pliny the Younger. These were all historians. They're old guys, dead, long dead, but they were writing histories, histories of the Roman Empire, history of the Jewish people. This is how they go. And do you want to know what we can know based on just the things that they wrote? We know this based on Joseph, Josephus, Tacitus, and Pliny alone, that Jesus really did live, that he really was a teacher, that many people followed him. We know that he died we know that he died by crucifixion, and we know that Pontius Pilate did it. We also know that even though he was killed, now this group of people is going around saying that he's actually alive and that his body can't be found. And that they won't, they won't admit that they're lying even if we kill them. So these guys who have no interest in the church growing are saying, yeah, we know Jesus lived, we know that he was teaching, we know that he died by crucifixion, Pontius Pilate was the one that did it, and we know that now these guys are going around saying that he's not dead, he's actually alive. 
and they won't say anything otherwise. And I think that is amazing because this takes it out of the realm of a nighttime story or a book that's really helpful to us and helps us to realize this, that this isn't Narnia, it's not Lord of the Rings, it's not some fantasy story that someone cooked up that makes a lot of sense like Harry Potter, right, that we love to read, but really, I mean, it's cool if it would be real. This really actually happened. These are telling the stories of real people, and that information has been passed down to you and me. So they knew that he was not in the tomb anymore. They knew where Joseph's tomb was. And in fact, in Matthew 28, Matthew takes the time to say, and you all know this, as they were on their way, some of the guards came into the city and reported to the chief priests everything that had happened about the resurrection, right? That Jesus was no longer in the tomb. After the priests assembled and the elders agreed on a plan, they gave these soldiers that had been at the tomb when Jesus was resurrected money, lots and lots of money, and told them, say this, his disciples came in the night and stole him while they were sleeping. If this reaches the governor's ears, we'll deal with him and keep you out of trouble. So they took the money and they did as they were instructed, and this story has been spread among the Jewish people today. Even the Jewish people who didn't want anything to do with Jesus knew that he had been buried in that tomb and he wasn't there anymore. And the only thing that they would believe was that the disciples must have come during the night and stolen him. But that still leaves one thing. Why would the disciples steal a body of a dead guy and then go around claiming not only that he was alive, but all of them be brutally murdered happily for something they knew that they, they had the body buried around the corner in the street? No. They believe that he is alive. And even the Jews at the time knew that the body was not where it was supposed to be. Something is going on. So, we all know we can trust from this that something is up, right? That it's not implausible that the resurrection happened. The resurrection could have happened because all the evidence points to it happening. That means that we want to think about the implications of this. What does that mean if Jesus is raised from the dead? It means that everything Jesus promised as well as being resurrected is also true. Our eternity with him in heaven. Uh, the fact that our sins can be forgiven. Um, the fact that the <laughs> everything he said about the kingdom of heaven is real and true. And he never lied because he said he would die and be raised from the dead again. And if he was, that means that everything he said was true, everything his disciples said in the rest of the New Testament is true. And not only that, it means that everything in the Old Testament is also true because they were all Jews and they all believed it too. Everyone believed that the Old Testament was God, God's word. Nobody in the Jewish people doubted that. So we can believe that the Old Testament is true. We can believe that the New Testament is true. That means that everything in the Bible is true. Do you see why the resurrection is important? And here's this main point. This is the main point. What, can I believe everything the Bible says is true? The resurrection proves that the Bible is God's word. That one event proves the whole thing is true. That everything that it talks about 
is true, that it never lies, and that everything that it promises to you is as good as gold. It will happen, it has happened, and it will continue to happen. But that leads to the next question, right? I said that this book is, this is, doesn't say, you know, written by Jesus, you know, bound by Paul and given to me by Timothy, right? This is by Crossway Publishing, and it's in English, which I know for a fact Paul didn't speak. So how can I be sure that what I am reading today, what you are reading today, is the same thing that they were writing 2,000 years ago? Is my Bible the same one we were reading 2,000 years ago? Anybody want to take a shot at that one right here? Anybody want to take a read? I'll just do it. Now I want to make clear for you, brothers and sisters, the gospel I preach to you, which you have received, on which you have taken your stand, and by which you are being saved. If you hold to the message I preach to you, unless you believed in vain, for I passed on to you as most important what I also received, that Christ died for our sins. See, everyone today knows everything that's happening all over the world. Why do we know everything that's happening all over the world today all the time? Who's got a guess? Everybody's got this app on their phone. Everybody's got TV, but more than that, right? Social media. Everybody's posting all the time. YouTube. Everybody who's got a camera now is a news reporter. They can take a film of the events, and it's not about their eyewitness because there's everybody is an eyewitness. But they didn't have YouTube and smartphones in Judea in the early first century. So how do we know? Well, let's play a game. We're going to play a game right now. So I want everybody to stand up. Oh, sorry, this is 1 Corinthians uh, 1 through 3. I think it must be, oh, it got cut off <laughs> on the page. 1 Corinthians 15, 1 through 3. My apologies. All right, so we're going to stand up and make a line across the room and spread out. Get nice and spread. And we're going to play. Hey, we did better that time. All right, come and sit down. Much, much better. So what I said was, for I passed on to you as most important what I also received. But I think we've learned that receiving it is somewhat more difficult than we thought, right? I'm passing it on, but it did not make it. So if we can't even make it with six people from one end of the room to the other with the same message, how can we trust that this Bible made it to me 2,000 years later in a different language is the same? Okay, here we go. So, a little background. The New Testament was written, I'll give you dates. These are not firm. We do not have exact dates, but we have good, good guesses. The, the whole entire New Testament was written between 42 A.D. and 90 A.D. So that starts with Galatians. All of Paul's letters and all the letters and the Gospels started being written sometime in there. John's Gospel was last and Revelation was, was John's final revelation, right? So all of it within less than 50 years and all of it within the lifetime of John. As I said, John lived past 90. They tried to kill him by boiling him in water. It didn't take. He still lived. He still was leading the church in Ephesus. And what this 
indicates to us is that there were plenty of people who were alive who could have said, no, that's not one of Paul's letters. No, Matthew didn't write that. No, John, John was faking it. There were people alive who could have written that, who could have outed the whole thing, but it didn't. Now, unlike the Declaration of Independence, which we still have, the original in Washington, D.C., we do not have a single original document. We don't have the letter to the Galatians that Paul wrote. We don't have the original draft of the Gospel of John. We don't even have the original Revelation, which was the last one. What we have are copies. And as we saw, can't make it with telephone from one end of the room to the other. How can we trust this has happened? Well, what we have is not only a copy. We have many, many, many copies that date to a very, very, very close time to when they were written. The earliest one that we have, seven verses of John, seven of the verses in John, I think it's chapter five, that they found. Now, where, where I say John was, he was in what church? In Ephesus. So that's in Turkey today, modern-day Turkey. They found this in Egypt, written on a papyrus, which is made of tree, so it disintegrates over time. Seven verses from John, and when they dated it, they found that it was about 20 years from when Revelation was wrote, written. 20 years. That means that in the 20 years, the Bible was so widespread that it was down in Egypt, and it was the same, it reads the same as we read John today. We have an entire new copy of the New Testament written on animal hide, which lasts a lot longer than uh, papyrus does. An entire copy written in Greek that dates all the way back to 350, so that's about 200 and something years after it was written. Only 250 years, which sounds like a long time, but we're talking about like the Declaration of Independence wasn't even written 250 years ago. So that's pretty astounding. And the entire thing, the entire New Testament, and it looks a lot like, it translates out to be a lot like what this is. Yes. And we're talking about another 1,400 years before that, and we have a copy of a New Testament written in Koine Greek, written on an animal hide, that we use even today to translate our Bible into English and into all the languages that we see all around the world. So, how many copies do we have of this Greek Bible? The Bible was written in Greek. The original language was Greek. We say that God's word is without error or inerrant as long in the original manuscripts, which were written in Greek. So we're always looking for Greek manuscripts as the most close to what we can expect it to have looked like when they wrote it originally. How many of those do we have? We have 5,800 of them. 5,800 or more of these manuscripts. Sometimes it's parts of the Bible, sometimes it's whole books, or even the whole New Testament. Do you have a question or a comment? It's a really good question. I'll answer it. Can I wait till the end and then you ask it again? Because yes. it's a really good question and I do want to get into it because there's so much on this. I'm really focusing on the, re on the resurrection. But we have 5,800 of these manuscripts in Greek about the Bible. We have, not only that, we have 10,000 more 
that were translated from Greek into Latin, which was the language of the Roman Empire, so that it could spread around and be read and understood in the common language. Not only that, we have another 8,500 that were written in common languages of the time, like Coptic, which was Egyptian, or Syriac, so all the languages there in the Middle East at the time, or Gothic, which were barbarian tribes there in different parts. The Bible was meant to go to the whole world, and they were busy translating it from Greek and into all these other languages. And when we translate that back, we get something that looks like this. So we have thousands upon thousands, 25,000 or more of these manuscripts that date as close back to as within like your grandpa's lifetime. Isn't that crazy? Like we're talking about your grandpa's lifetime. He still remembers what it was like back in like the 1960s and 50s, like what was going on back then. Some cases, 30 years, I'm 32. Like we're talking 1988. We're having a presidential election. They were, you know, it was the Berlin Wall was about to come down, the Cold War with the USSR. But you guys don't even like, that's like a whole other world because you weren't even born yet. That was just happening back then. And I still remember it. And I was two. And I can only imagine the things that Renee can remember from 1988. She doesn't remember anything. <laughs> she prefers to forget. Anyway, she's forgotten more about 1988 than more of her. So with these manuscripts, we could rewrite the entire New Testament of the Bible multiple times just from reading that. But we don't even need to stop there. We have the early church fathers. Like I said, these guys like Polycarp and Papias who were coming right afterwards, guys like Timothy that Paul trained, they were leading the church right after the apostles died. And they wrote letters a lot. They aren't in our Bible because they're not scripture. I'll get to that at the end. But from their quotes of the New Testament scriptures that Paul and the rest of them wrote, we could rewrite the entire New Testament just using their letters, which is mind-blowing to me. So how does this compare to other writings, right? Is the Bible really the most accurately transmitted? Well, the next best thing we have in the entire world is the Iliad, which is a story that poem that Homer the ancient Greek poet originally told and then was later recorded on paper it was originally a told story not a written story we have 650 copies of that manuscript of that story and that's considered to be incredibly accurate and the earliest one we have dates to about 200 AD now, Homer lived in 800 B.C., which, weird math across the, the date line, that's 1,000 years. So the earliest one we have is 1,000 years old by the time it was written. And not only that, we have other things like the biographies of Alexander the Great, which we use to tell the story of Alexander's life. And they are considered to be historically accurate. It doesn't involve any legend or anything like that. We're picking it apart and saying, this is probably what happened. And the earliest ones we have were written more than 400 years after his death. Like, they didn't know him. Tacitus, Josephus, the ones I was talking about earlier, these historians, the oldest copies we have of their work are almost, or more than, a thousand years old. A thousand years past when they died. And yet, we consider them to be historically accurate. But here we are with the Bible, which we have 25,000 manuscripts. How accurate 
is the copying. I mean, I was at, I was doing a backyard Bible club a couple weeks ago, and I was writing my little notes for the story I was telling about Paul. Ten minutes later, I'm out there telling the story. I look down at my notes. I can't even read and understand what I wrote ten minutes after I write it. So how can we get these manuscripts and believe that they are doing it accurately? 25,000 copies of the work. How accurate is the copy? Sorry. There's basically to say no other work of ancient writing that is as well copied and well transmitted as the New Testament of the Bible. Period. There is none. Not even close. 650 is the next closest to 25,000. So, are there differences in the things that in the manuscripts that we have? Yes, there are differences in these copies. They do differ from one another. How many? If you depending on how you look at it, there are up to 200,000. That means multiple mistakes or multiple differences in every single one. How can this possibly be trustworthy? Right? So many mistakes. How could this possibly be a book that I could believe? Well, we'll have to ask the question. Is anything we believe today put at risk by these differences? 200,000 of them. Is anything that we continue to believe today put at risk? Not one single Christian belief. Not one thing that Pastor Michael teaches in there. Not one thing that this Bible tells us about today that churches all over the world are teaching has changed one bit in 2,000 years. Even with all these differences, we're talking about not like, oh, Jesus said, love your neighbor, and another one, he hates your neighbor. No, we're talking about like a guy was writing it down and he forgot to write the. We're talking about they, they wrote is instead of if, or they left out very instead of it. They saw that it was good. He saw that it was very good, right? Where that doesn't change, it's still good. The meaning is still there. So we played telephone, right? We couldn't make it from one end of the room to the other. We want to compare that to what the Bible is. We're talking about it's as if we've been playing a game of telephone for 2,000 years, and what's come out the other side is 99.5% the same as when it went in. That is amazing. We got nothing the first time, and maybe 35% the second time. But I'll tell you what, I was cheating a little bit because what they would do is it would be like a, for I have passed on you what I have received as most important. And then the second guy was, I've received a frozen yogurt parfait. No, 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 no. For what I received, I passed on to you as most important. Okay, let me get this straight. What I've received, what I received, I passed on to you as most important. Got it. Okay. And then he'll turn around to the next guy and tell him that. And the third guy will say, did you tell him that he wanted a frozen yogurt parfait? No, no, no. What I said was, do you see how that goes? They were checking, 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 going back, checking with an earlier guy, checking again, making sure before they told anybody that they were telling the story that was the most faithful story to what they received. It was so important to them because what were they passing on? We believe that the Bible is what? It is God's we do not want to mess with that. We don't want to be telling lies when we want to be telling truth. So, it's astounding how accurate this Bible in English is to what they would have been reading in Greek 2,000 years ago. And there is no way 
that that, there's no way to look at this and say that what we're reading today is completely different than what they had back then. That's just foolish. So, so what does that mean? Well, no matter how much evidence I just gave you, and this was just scratching the surface of all the evidence that we have, none of this will save you. Not one single thing that I taught you today will lead to your salvation, will save you from your sin. You still have to have faith to believe in the truth of the resurrection, that Jesus was dead and he is not dead anymore. You need to have an encounter with the risen Christ and believe that he died on the cross for your sin, that he rose from the grave so that you could be forgiven for your sins, so that you could have an eternal life with God again, so that you could have a relationship with him in this life again, and so that you would have an inheritance stored up for you when you pass through this life. No amount of schoolwork will prove it. Archaeological evidence and schoolwork can tell you that it's reasonable to believe in it, but they can't prove that you should believe in it. You need to have faith. You need to have an encounter with a real person. Look at this. Look at it this way. These 12 disciples, they went from being cowards in a locked room that three days before had denied that they knew Jesus with everything in them. And they walked out of that 40 days later when they received the power of the Holy Spirit. They walked out and they preached the gospel to the people until they were murdered for it. And they would not stop. What changed? Skeptics, people that had every reason to not believe it, went on to believe it. I'll give you an example. Did you know that Jesus had at least two brothers? We know that because they wrote books of the Bible. James and Jude. James was written by the brother of Jesus. Jude was written by the brother of Jesus. Now let me tell you this. If you have brothers and sisters, how many of you know that your brother or sister isn't God? Right? How many of you have ever blamed something on your brother or sister or been blamed by your brother or sister on something? Yeah, right? It must have been miserable to be Jesus' little brother because you could never get away with anything. Mom, Jesus did it. And mom's like, no, he's Jesus. He's never going to get it. He's never going to do anything wrong. Right? It would be awful. If he did, it probably right. wasn't rightfully his parents were wrong for doing that. So, but this is the thing: we have a count that his brothers and sisters did not believe him right. when he was when he was preaching. But we saw that Paul mentioned that he last appeared to James before he appeared to the apostles and then to Paul. James was going along believing his brother was not God. He didn't believe in the things he was teaching. He thought he was foolish and crazy. And then one day, after his brother had been killed on a cross, all of a sudden, his brother is standing in front of him. And what he believed was true had utterly changed. And James was so changed by this experience that he went on to worship his own brother as God. And not only that, he led the church in Jerusalem. He was called the pillar of the church. In Jerusalem. Jude was the same way. Saul and Paul. Saul became Paul because he was a Jew, right? How many of you know the story of Paul? He was not just a Pharisee. He was like the best Pharisee. He knew, probably knew the entire New Old Testament by heart. 
and he was going around taking out the church. What changed? Not that all of a sudden he realized that the resurrection was reasonable, but he met Jesus on the road to Damascus, and he was changed forever. We see that today in the church, what do we celebrate? We celebrate two big types of thing in the church, right? We take it here every, every day in church. It's what do we call that? We eat the bread, we drink the cup. We eat the bread, we drink the cup. It's called communion, right? How many of you ever heard of communion? Right. Right? What is the point of eating bread and taking the cup? Why are we doing it? To proclaim Christ's death until he comes again. Until he comes again, why would we be celebrating his death? We're not. We're celebrating the fact that he died because he's still alive again. So, we celebrate baptism. How many of you have ever seen a baptism or been baptized, right? What do we do first? We put them under the water as if we're burying them, right? And then we pull them up, right? It's a symbol is what it is. We put it under water to symbolize being buried with Christ, and then we pull them out of the water, raised, right? Raised, resurrected, to walk in newness of life, right? That's what we say every time. Buried and raised. Everything we do is about the resurrection. The church has experienced explosive growth around the entire world because people in the world are not coming to realize that it's reasonable to believe that the resurrection happened, but because they've had an encounter with Jesus Christ and see that he is still alive. And the resurrection, like we said, proves that God's word is true. The resurrection means that everything in the Bible, they didn't, they didn't, become the church because of crafty words that Paul was the smartest guy and was able to convince them that it was right. Uh, they didn't change because of violence, right? Nobody was going, the church didn't really grow because you went around, be a Christian or I'm going to chop your head off. No, that's not how people get saved. It didn't happen because people were making bread and fish turn into billions of bread and fish and gold and all that. No, only one miracle that a man was dead, that God himself was dead, and that he was alive again, the resurrection. So this week, what you can do with this, thinking about when you read the Bible, what does it mean if the Bible is actually telling you the truth? Whatever you're reading in it, what does it mean that whatever part of this you open to and you're reading it, it's telling you the truth about what God is like and what really happened? What does that mean for you? And pray that he would fill you to be able to understand what you are reading. Because, listen to this. No matter how much evidence you have, you have to have faith to believe. And when you read God's word, you need the Holy Spirit to really understand. God reveals the truth to people who believe in him. And I'll pray right now and then we'll, we'll move on to our small group time. Kind of how that would look. So God... We thank you that your word is true. We thank you that the resurrection really happened. And, and God, as I model this prayer, I pray that, that you would make this a reality in every one of these kids' life. That, that as they sit down to read your word and they open it up, that they would say with their hearts, with their mouths, this. God, please fill us with your Holy Spirit so that we can have ears to hear, so that we can have eyes to see, and our hearts and minds would understand what we are reading. Help us to understand what this Bible means, God, and let that change us so that we know more about who you are, so we know more about what you've done 
and we know what it means for us today. Help us to understand, God. Give us your Holy Spirit to teach us. And I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.